0: Mm-hmm. Psalm one hundred nineteen eighty one. Cuff. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I, but I have put my hope in your word.
1: Keep going, the whole octave.
0: Oh. <laughs> Don't tell him what you expect of him in advance. <laughs> <laughs> but I put my hope in your word. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? though I'm like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors, the arrogant dig-pits to trap me, contrary to your law? All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for I am being persecuted without cause. They almost wipe me from the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. And your unfailing love preserve my life, that I may obey the statutes of your mouth.
1: Mm, good stuff. So my friend typed that uh, just recently, and he was completely blown away by typing that psalm. I, I mean, my friend <laughs> sitting there. Um, okay, so um, uh, he's going through the Bible, typing the whole Bible from front to back, and not every morning, but most mornings, I get great insights that he's pulled out from it because he's thinking differently typing than uh, reading. Okay, I got a couple of prayer requests here. Brent is in the hospital uh, in Canada, breathing tightness, nausea, and dizzy. Um, This is Donna's husband Brent. Uh, Mike uh, who's Tricky Mick on uh, the uh, live stream. His oldest sister is going through surgery to get dialysis to work and also his daughter has COVID. Uh, Sandra over in the UK. um, Benzer's wife. What nice people. Uh, She's got the shingles and she's miserable like it was a 10-10 pain but now it's down to 8-10 but they were really worried at first and at least now they know what it is and it's something that will pass but terrible so keep uh, Sandra in prayer and then Greg and Andy for those of you who didn't hear on Sunday they got in an accident somebody rear-ended them very badly and uh, Greg uh, he tried to eat the uh, steering wheel and yeah his face is all broken up so no eating steering wheels okay We don't do that here. If you want to do that here, you can go somewhere else because that's where they do that here, okay? Greg is uh, getting better, but uh, very painful, and both of them are all, you know, banged up. So keep keep them in prayer really bad. Um, I got that, and then let's see. um, uh, Oh, yeah, um, Pakistan. I mentioned it on Sunday. Fully funded. Everything is paid for. Everything is done. Um, People had sent some money last month, plus a lady picked up all the rest of it. So Pakistan for the month is taken care of. And the uh, request in the Philippines uh, to build a uh, uh, a, a toilet for the people in the outlying town, uh, that is uh, also paid for. So praise the Lord for that. Both of those are taken care of for a month. And um, one other thing. I left the house and uh, uh, two minutes before I left. I wasn't sure if it was going to happen, but uh, something arrived from uh, Karen out in Washington State. And uh, so before you leave, you all can take one of these home or two. And uh, if there's any left, we'll leave them for the Sunday people. But we don't want to do that. We want to finish this today. (laughs) So this is from Karen Jessup out in Washington. And she's the one that gives us all of the Voice of the Martyr stuff, all of it. So uh, thank you for that, Karen. And Yes?
0: Um, the, I have been getting texts for the past week and a half. Pastor in KL, who's Pakistani. Yep. Yeah, they are in dire
1: need. Okay, we'll, we'll mention that on Sunday as well. Make sure we do that, but we have a, a need in Pakistan. I'm sorry, Pakistani church in uh, Kuala Lumpur that needs help. So if anybody wants to help with that, Let me know and I'll tell you how you can get a hold of the people that can get the money to him. And uh, apparently they're in very bad shape. And then make sure we mention that again Sunday. Okay. Um, And then we'll read this and we'll get started. Today is the last day of November. And boy, hasn't it been nice two cold days? I can go out and I can cut palm trees. I cut uh, several palm trees a day. Never broke a sweat. Pretty nice. I don't like the cold normally, but I got to tell you, it's really nice when you got the, uh, the end of the year tree cutting. And, uh, oh, wow. Anyway, but hearing the uh, stories of 17 and 20 and 34 up north, no thanks. No, thanks. I, I'm very happy to be in sunny Sarasota, Florida. Let's see here. November 30th, um, John Clue was called to the harvest field while working in one. He had grown up without religious inclinations and in college seemed resistant to evangelistic efforts by friends. His roommate tried to read the Bible and pray with him each evening, but John, growing exasperated, drew a chalk line down the middle of the room, forbidding prayer or scripture on his side of the line. But the Holy Spirit worked on his heart, and one evening, unable to study and overwhelmed with his need, he crossed the line and knelt by his roommate. Shortly after, hearing a missionary sermon, John wondered if God would have him overseas, and he applied. He was atop a four-horse reaper breaking off grain when a farmhand approached him with a letter from Boston. Clue wiped away his sweat and tore open the news from the Baptist Foreign Mission Board. What do you know, he shouted. They want me to go to India as a missionary. Uh, He'd be sweating there. Oh my gosh, if he was sweating in Boston, he's going to be sweating in India. (laughs) Missions officials wanted to send him to Forlorn Hope, Telugu, India, where 17 years of painful, plotting effort had produced no apparent results. On November 30th, 1864, Clue and his wife sailed from Boston on a tiny ship, hardly seaworthy, called the James Guthrie. It rolled and pitched its way across the ocean, finally limping into India the following April. So he left in November 30th and he got there in April. Uh, Yeah, a little scary there. John, leaping into service, was immediately confronted with a dilemma. The higher caste of Indians refused to attend church with the lower caste and and outcasts. Praying for wisdom, Clue randomly opened his Bible and read in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 of God choosing the lowly. Across the room at the same moment his wife randomly opened her bible to the same place clue amazed took it as divine guidance he announced that all were welcome in his church that he would not accept a segregated congregation he started preaching and conversions multiplied 15 months later two indian preachers stood in a river and began baptizing the converts when they grew weary others relieved them by five o'clock two thousand two hundred and twenty two had been baptized, and the baptisms continued for two more days. My friends, if you have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you won't treat some people better than others. God has given a lot of faith to the poor people in this world. He has also promised them a share in his kingdom that he will give to everyone who loves him. James 2, 1 1 and 5. Heavenly Father, we are so very very thankful to you for the people that go out into the mission field and tell others about Jesus and are willing to expend their time, their resources and their lives in the uh, furtherance of the gospel. And so we lift up all of the missionaries, both the indigenous ones and those serving out of country, uh, that you would bless them and give them the ability to uh, just do their jobs faithfully and productively. And uh, sometimes not even having converts can be a productive mission, depending on the circumstances. So we uh, just thank you that uh, these people are out there doing what you would have them. And I would have uh, certainly uh, the prayer that uh, they would override any of the really bad doctrine of some missionaries that go out there and uh, uh, tell false gospels and uh, false religious expressions in the name of Jesus. Uh, And uh, they just lead people further away from you, not closer. So we would pray that... uh, our true missionaries would be uh, effective at overriding those people. And uh, Lord, we thank you for this class. We ask that you just bless the time here, and we're just so grateful to you that we can come to you for prayer for these people that we mentioned, and uh, uh, that your hand will be with them. And we just pray that it would be for, for full healing, but if not, that they would understand why you've allowed affliction in their lives. We thank you, Lord, how good you are to us, and we just praise you for your wonderful word that tells us of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray amen uh, okay so we have uh, you know I'm, it's funny I typed uh, my intro to the sermon eight ten weeks from now uh, uh, on Monday and uh, I talk about people that take the Bible and they have a uh, if this then that approach to their theology in other words they open the Bible and they put their finger down and they say okay well, you know um, and uh, it, which is exactly the opposite of what these people here in this thing did. The Lord gave them what you might call a God wink. They both turned to the same verse in Scripture at the same time. I would agree that the Lord is giving them a little hint that uh, they're on the right path. Uh, But when you purposely choose to look for what you want in order to uh, uh, selectively uh, uh, yeah, then there's a completely different approach to that. Um, You know, there are times, like it happened today, I was writing a letter and uh, it, like five times in the letter, there's just a song playing in the background. I just, whatever it was, I don't know what it was. Something was playing and the exact word that he is singing in the song I was writing in the letter and it happened like five times. And I was just, it was just like, kind of like this confirmation that the person I'm writing to really needed it because it was for a reason. And, uh, you know, but once again, we don't want to read too much into chance. We don't, you know, the Lord, uh, 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 will guide us and we need to be open and receptive to what's happening around us but we do not want to have an if this then this type of theology because if we do then we're going to err. Anyway um, just thought I'd get that out while it was on my head and we are in uh, 2 Thessalonians uh, 2 verse 16 and if we go quick enough Jim's not here who always keeps us going slow so maybe today um, maybe today we'll uh, finish it. We got somebody filling in for Jim and uh uh, we might be done with the whole epistle today, so we'll see. 2 Thessalonians 2:16. <laughs> Jim is currently talking to you through the TV.
0: <laughs> it's midnight in Israel. I'm going to be even slower than Jim. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I got to tell you, yeah,
1: I uh, I, I, Thursdays are long, tiring days for me, and uh, uh, I with you having just got back a couple of days ago, and all that you've done for your, well, I don't want to talk about the circumstances, but they've had a very full week. I'm surprised that he and uh, Rhoda are even alive right now. Oh, my goodness. But, okay, go ahead, 2.16. Okay.
0: 2.16. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Okay. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Next verse.
1: Okay, so. yeah, 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 there yeah. you go. Okay, so 16 here says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation instead of encouragement and good hope by grace um, for those of you that uh, don't know what we do I always have uh, one Bible read from the Alexandrian tradition and then this one from the Byzantine so you'll see some differences at times why is this different why is this verse not included here and so we can go over that as well but yeah and then of course you have within even one tradition you'll have 18 billion different translations and so Um, you know I have no problem with that the more translations you read the better off you're gonna be you get captivated by one and you will end up not having good theology because if there's an error which there are in every translation that you're gonna find out there man is fallible uh, you're going to have that in your head so read the Bible read it many times and read it in various translations and it will be a big help to you Um, I was talking to my friend Jonathan today and he, uh, he is so into reading the Bible. He's so interested in it. And he, uh, uh, you know, he wants to know what translations I've read. And I told him some of them. And, you know, um, but uh, he's always got sermons going in his business. And he said some guy, a Catholic, came in a day ago. And by the time he left, the guy was in tears. So, uh, you know, just uh, he's just got this almost ministry in his little business there. So um, there's always an approach to uh, telling people about the word. Uh, And uh, I would hope that that guy would now pursue the Lord and that he would be willing to uh, uh, pursue right doctrine. You know, there's a lot of uh, bad doctrine in most churches. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm not saying that what we have here is correct. You have to decide that yourself. But um, it's just obvious that there are a lot of churches that just don't teach anything properly anymore. Uh, There's just a lot of, you know, just really bad doctrine that's been growing over the the past years especially in major denominations as they have gone downhill and they've taken their congregations with them. Anyway, um okay, comments on 216. In these words Paul presents a prayer which is connected to the exhortation that he just made. He did that last week. He asked those in Thessalonica and thus us because it's written into the Bible now. It, this epistle is included in scripture. He's asking us to stand fast and hold the the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. In response to these words, he issues a prayer to confirm this in them. In rather unusual construction, he says, Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father. In this, he begins with Jesus, and only then does he move to the Father. This is the opposite of 1 Thessalonians 3.11, where he said, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. The reason for placing the Lord Jesus first is because of words which follow and which describe the work of the Father. However, in doing this, there is the implicit hint, as is seen so many times elsewhere, of the equality of the persons within the Godhead. Uh, Burke and I were talking about a movie uh, a while ago, and uh, it doesn't matter what movie it was, it was uh, you know, obviously not based on the Bible itself, but it was a uh, Christian movie about Jesus encountering somebody. And uh, one of the things that this person, uh, once she came to believe it was Jesus, uh, was uh, he affirmed to her, I am God, okay? And that's one thing that we need to understand is that Jesus is God. And it's a real problem. As I said in the prayer when we opened today, there are people out there that do not teach that, or they teach it wrong. If you uh, go to many, many countries, there's a big evangelism by the Mormons, and they are in there bringing darkness. They're not bringing any light at all. Their darkness is that Jesus was a man who became a God, and that you too someday will become a God, and you will rule your own little universe, and you'll be just like Jesus was somewhere else. Um, It's very sad theology. It's something that has infected millions and millions and millions of people, and it didn't have to be this way, but uh, the Lord allows us to make our own choices. He allows, you know, people always ask, why is there evil in the world? Well, why is there Islam? Why are there Mormons? It's because God allows us to make our own choices. We can accept him as he is. We can accept his word as it's written, or we can reject it, and uh, so when we're reading things like this, uh, right here, it very clearly shows that he is making a distinction, Jesus and God the Father, and yet, if you uh, study what the Word is saying, Jesus is God, and obviously the Father is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, but he is making a distinction between them, showing us not only that there is one God, but there is a substance within the Godhead, which is more than just simply a monad. We call it the Trinity. It's not a triad, which would be three gods sitting on three, you know, pedestals and all uh, doing their own thing. There is one God who has revealed himself in three persons, okay? And we say persons because that comes from Augustine, and uh, his reason for that was, I understand it's not the best terminology, but for a lack of, yeah, well, for a lack of being silent, he said, I've got to use something. And so he uh, used the term persons. Um, and there's no contradiction in having three and one. You know, I have brought this example up many, many times where you have time is one thing and yet time is three things. It's uh, future, present, and past. They've always existed. They are always going to exist as long as time exists. And yet they're three separate things, but they are one thing. Okay, that's a very simple example. We could go through it in a lot more detail on that, but um, Paul is not making a distinction between Jesus and God here. He's actually enforcing the thought of the Trinity. Anyway, uh, <coughs> let's see here. <coughs> they are um, uh, The word and between the two shows that they are separate and distinct. A Godhead is thus identified, and that they are equal within this Godhead as this is a prayer made directly to Jesus as well as to the Father, it recognizes the equality of the two. Uh, once again, we talked about this, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago is, can we pray to Jesus? And the Bible has absolutely no problem with that at all. The very last prayer that Stephen ever made on this planet before he exited to heaven was to Jesus okay Lord Jesus receive my spirit etc so um, it's no problem if you want to pray to Jesus but Jesus is the mediator the human Jesus is the mediator between us and God okay he is the way of us speaking to God without Jesus we could not do so because sin separates us from God so that he does not hear our prayers okay I understand that's from the Old Testament Isaiah, but it's a truth that still exists to this day. The only prayer that God wants to hear from an unbeliever is a prayer of confession of Jesus. Other than that, he will not hear prayer. Um, As cold and barren as that may sound, that is what the Bible teaches. There's one mediator between God and man, that's the man Christ Jesus. If Jesus isn't in the equation, then there's no mediation of that prayer. So, With that understood, it says that it is God the Father who has loved us. God the Father is the source of the love, which is being expressed in the thought. Uh, Once again, uh, God's love does not increase. It does not decrease. Nothing about God changes. If something about God changes, then it's not the God of the Bible. God is. He's outside of time. That means there's no time associated with him. He created time for our benefit. Therefore, if God was to increase in love or love you and then not love you, that would be an act that occurs within time. It wouldn't be the God of the Bible. God is love. That's what the Bible says. It does not say love is the God. It says the God is love. The two are not interchangeable. Okay, the article in front of the one and not the other makes that explicit in the Greek. So we want to make sure that we understand that God is love. He doesn't love in the sense that we think of. He's not loving where if you do a good thing, he's going to love you more. And I said it before, and people always get this gassed look on their face, but God doesn't love you any more than he loves Adolf Hitler. He just has a disconnect between himself and Adolf Hitler, which is sin. And that must be reconciled. If he had come to Jesus, then that would have been eradicated. Okay, it doesn't matter who you are, you were born into sin. Paul explains that in the book of Romans, okay, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. And so when we are dealing with God, we are dealing with a being that cannot fellowship with a fallen creature. Thank God for Jesus Christ who makes that possible. Without him, there would be no possibility of ever spending time with God in the future. But now he makes it where we have a certain future with him forever. It's wonderful, wonderful to think of what God did because of him being love. His love for us is what then extends to, I'm sorry, then leads to Paul's next thought, that he has given us everlasting consolation, or as that one says, encouragement. These words describe a type of comfort which is enduring and which cannot be robbed from us. Okay, I like to bring this one up all the time, is uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19, where it says God is, has reconciled us through Jesus Christ so that he is not imputing us sins. Uh, God was in Christ reconciling uh, us to himself, not in, counting our sins against us or not imputing our sins. Uh, because if we were having sins imputed to us today, as believers, we would lose our salvation. Law is how sin comes about. If there is no law, then there can be no sin. When you are in Christ, you are no longer under law, but under grace. And so that's what it is. People don't, they talk about, can you lose your salvation? Can you not lose your salvation? The very question uh, is, it's an error in thinking to think that you could lose your salvation because it's assuming that you were somehow in Christ, but you can become out of Christ. But he's already said in Timothy that he cannot deny himself. And so if you have called on Jesus and you are in Christ, he can never deny you. It would be contrary to his nature and his being. Plus, it would be contrary to any uh, thing that he says, which when God speaks, it is an eternal decree. So uh, the fact is that just asking if you could lose your salvation, you're thinking with a category mistake in your head. Um, The answer is no, you cannot because you're not under law. And if you're not under law, then you cannot sin in the sense you can, you know, offend God with what you do. But it's not being reckoned as sin. And because it's not, you will always be with God from that point on. So that's the greatness of what Christ has done. It's so wonderful. And it's it's so marvelous to just sit and think what he has done for us and to contemplate it. And, you know, when you pick up the Bible and you're reading it, pretend like you're really reading it right? Don't just read it and, you know, five minutes later, I forgot what I read today. Think about it. Think about what God is telling us in this word, because it's important. It deals with your relationship with him. And, um, you know, if you're uh, not getting anything out of it, then put it down and go back and read it again. But make sure you read your Bible today. Make sure you read it tonight. Read your Bible. This is how you get to know Jesus. And Jesus is how you get to know God, the father. So please read your Bible. Um, Uh, Let's see here. His love for us is what then leads to next Paul's thought, which is the everlasting consolation. These words describe a type of comfort which is enduring and which cannot be robbed from us. Eternal salvation. No matter what happens, our comfort will endure. How untypical of all other faiths where adherents place their lost loved ones in the grave and who then mourn in their eternal loss. They don't have any hope. There's no hope in a religion where you uh, plop somebody into the grave and you walk away and you think well that's over. There's, there's just no hope in that and there may be a hope like well I know they're in a better place. We say that to ourselves to you know take away the pain that we feel or to take away the sadness that God has allowed in us as human beings so that we can understand the world around us and think on him. Okay but the reality that every person knows is that if there is no hope because there's no such thing as a resurrection, then you're just really wasting your time. You're only comforting yourself just to get it out of your mind. But with Jesus, there is an absolute hope. There's more than just, you know, I I, I hope it's going to happen. It's my hope is. It's something that is firm and it is fixed because he has prevailed over the grave. And if he has, and he says, you will, I assure you, you will. So, thank goodness for Jesus. Um, Let's see here. um, uh, Yes, but this is completely untrue with the Christian faith. As Paul noted in verse 13, God chose us for salvation in, as the Greek reads, in sanctification by the Spirit. This is the everlasting consolation now being referred to by Paul in these words. Those in Christ are saved, And they have been sanctified. Every terrifying thing described earlier in the chapter and elsewhere in Scripture concerning those who fail to come to Christ has no bearing on us at all. If you have come to Christ, it is a done deal. And the thing is that you can forget that you were saved. And God never will. If you're not sure if that's true, go read uh, 2 Peter 1.9. It's right there. We'll we'll go there really quickly just so you don't think I'm making stuff up. But... um, Uh, This person is what Peter warns against. He spends the first eight verses warning against this type of an attitude. But he gets down to verse nine and he says, for he who lacks these things, do this, do this, do this, and you'll be uh, secure in your faith. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. He completely walked away from the faith. He's completely forgotten that he was ever saved in the first place. And yet God has not. God covenanted with him in Christ and it is a done deal. He's gonna wake up someday in glory and he's gonna say, you know, I forgot that I had done this. But God didn't. What a great God. Okay? That's it's so wonderful to think on what God has done for us because we, you know, we get beside ourselves with anger. We get beside ourselves with, you know, mourning and loss, or whatever our emotional state is at the time. Or we just, you know, get busy with life and we just start you know, walking away from church and eventually we're just doing our own thing and we've just completely forgotten. He's there, right there with you. He has made the promise in Christ. He has sealed you with his spirit and he will redeem you. What a great God. What a great God. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, yeah, the words in the Greek read in grace. Okay. So while we have, um, Where did I read that? Uh, Sanctification in the Spirit. This is the everlasting consolation now being referred to. Those in Christ are saved and they have been sanctified. Um, Let's see here. Um, Instead, we have the everlasting consolation and hope and good hope by grace. And once again, the words in Greek read in grace. God has put us in this position, which is in grace. This denotes the mode of everlasting consolation and good hope which we have been given. Grace is the element in which it occurs and is experienced. The words then correspond to verse 13. God from the beginning chose you for salvation in sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. And then in this verse, God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope in grace. The two verses are corresponding, 13 and now, so that we're seeing what Paul is thinking as he's typing or he's writing out this epistle to these people. We are chosen for salvation in sanctification, and we are given everlasting consolation and good hope and grace. This shows us the extent of the Father's love for us. He sent Christ Jesus to accomplish these things in order to reconcile us to him, and is this gift of Christ Jesus which is a reflection of his unlimited grace. Praise be to God. Just think about what God has done. And you know, the thing is, we talk about Jesus going to the cross and we talk about, you know, the son of God dying. And if you think about it from the perspective of Christ's deity, is that God was willing to do this himself. He took on human flesh in order to do that. Now, I said it last week, and I'll make sure that you understand. God did not die on the cross, okay? God is an eternal being. He he is the eternal being, and he did not die. But the human nature that he assumed died on the cross, and that is what we needed is to have the being that is the God-man. His humanity died. For our sins. It's something that God took upon Himself when He united with human flesh. And so uh, you want to make sure that you understand the difference and yet the uh, magnitude of what God has done. Okay? And so uh, to confirm that the human Jesus prevailed over sin, He resurrected Him. Okay? And as we saw, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago in one of the uh, Bible studies is that all three members of the Godhead are said in different points in the Old, uh, I'm sorry, in the New Testament to have raised Jesus. He was raised by the Spirit. God the Father raised him. Christ Jesus, I lay down myself and I my life down of my own and I take it up my own. Okay, so all three members of the Godhead were there in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all approving to the deeds of Jesus. Okay, so uh, we want to make sure that we understand the process of the resurrection. And as I say, every single Sunday, I mean, I I just it's such an important tenet is that if Jesus died and was buried with your sins and he came out of the grave, that means your sins are gone forever. Okay, because if your sins were not gone forever, Jesus would not have come out of the grave. He would still be in the grave because your sin clung to him okay so it's an important theological point that you need to understand is that jesus proved that he is god he proved that he had no sin of his own which proves he's god and that your sin is gone forever because if any of those three were not true his body would still be in the grave corrupted okay it's such
0: such a simple gospel that it sometimes it's just struggle yeah absorbing and I hear it all the time from people, but it's too simple. That's it. So you just believe and that's it. And yet it's just so difficult because my pride is in the way. Pride, especially. Because I want to do things to earn, but I, I can't.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, absolutely right. We, it, it, and that's the problem. I mean, it's self always steps in the way. Mm. And we cannot get grace right. It, it's just one of those things that people just cannot get. Well, I have to do something. Or he can't be saved because he's not doing something. or what? And all of that is false. Grace is grace. It is unmerited favor. If there's something that you need to do in order to be saved or to keep being saved, then it was never of grace by faith, ever. There was always something you had to do in order to be saved. And so we add to it. You know, I, I love when people like John MacArthur is very good at this. They call it easy believism okay, and they diminish what God has done in Christ by saying that. Easy believism. It's not easy at all. It's the hardest thing in the world for us to put ourselves aside and to simply trust that God has done it. There's nothing easy about it, but at the same time, what you're teaching is a false gospel if you're going to say that there's something other than your faith that saves you, and that's what everybody comes down to. They keep coming down to you can't be saved if you don't have works. And the obvious question that I tell people to ask when they're told that, what works? What works are going to save me? You tell me, and then if you show me where it is in Scripture, then I'll believe you. What works? What works are the works that you're talking about? And there's never an answer. They have no answer to that question. They just spout off the same theological nonsense continuously. If you don't have works, then you, you can't be saved. They prove that you're saved. Well, now tell me what works. You tell me what works, and I will do them. No answer. You're not going to get one because there is no answer to that question. Grace is grace. It is unmerited favor, so please do not mar grace. Life application. If you struggle with the concept of the Trinity, that's okay. It's a difficult concept for us to grasp. People email me, and they say, well, I don't get the Trinity, and can you please help me with that? And, uh, you know, I always, as I say, I just send them the link to the doctrine sermon on the Trinity. It just saves me a bunch of work and a lot of typing. But quite often, I will click on it and I'll watch it again because I need to brush up on what the Trinity is. It's not something you just walk around retaining all the time. There are little nuances that you can get wrong so easily and you get off on a bad track. And so you want to make sure that you don't give somebody that bad information. So I'll click on one of those doctrine sermons. And I always love to think, Or even one of my old sermons, you know, Maya will post something from one of my old sermons on a Bible bite, and I'll say, you know, I don't even remember having thought that, much less said it. I don't even remember having thought that, and yet there it is in a sermon, and I'm giving it at the pulpit, and I think, how big is the word? How complicated is the word, and how much we need to study the word, okay? There's so much involved in this word, and it's such a precious word, and we just go out and find everything else to do except... Read the word, you know, and one thing I've been doing over the past week, I've seen most of them before, but uh, actually I say the week, but it's over the past like three weeks since Hidako left is I've been pulling up the Bible series movies. And they're just all kinds of movies. The one I just clicked on now is uh, I've seen it before. It's filmed in, I I think, uh, like Morocco or something, but it's in Italian. So they dub over it. And it's the book of Genesis. And, you know, it's just, you're just getting something instead of watching junk on TV. And I, I watch, we got to watch this together. I was thinking of you through the whole thing because it really sticks to the Bible. Jeremiah I watched over the past week or so, and it really doesn't, and you'd be disappointed. But the book of Daniel was really well done. Oh, okay. It was really well done. I said, when you come back, we need to watch it. We got something else we got to finish first, but um, yeah. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, I really enjoyed the book of Daniel. I, it, it's, it, now, there's probably 8,000 movies about Daniel, so, you know, I'd have to tell you which one I'm referring to, and I don't know. I'd have to go pull it up. But they did a really good job of it. I mean, obviously, they built a story around it, but it held very close to Daniel itself, and so I thought this guy here would probably appreciate it. He doesn't like watching things that... It, it, he says His excuse is, well, I'll get it in my head, and that's what I'll be thinking about. And I agree, you might do that, but if you're reading your Bible enough, that's not going to be a problem. You learn to d- disassociate where falsehood and reality is or where, you know, what do you call it, artistic license is. Um, but you got to have it. If you're going to have an hour and a half long movie and you can read Daniel in 10 minutes or 20 minutes, obviously you need to add in things to make it a story. But... Anyway, uh, life application, uh, we talked about the Trinity, if you have a tough time with that, that's okay. It is a difficult thing for us to grasp, however, it's a necessary thing for us to grasp. Um, you know, There's no point in talking about the Trinity when you're evangelizing somebody. There's no point in doing that, okay? That's not what is going to get you saved. The simple gospel is what is going to get you saved. If somebody asks about the Trinity while you're speaking to them, you need to be able and responsible to tell them or say, I will get you an answer to that, because it is a question that they have now asked. And if you give them a wrong answer, they may become a Mormon, okay, or a Jehovah's witness. So you want to make sure that if somebody asks you, this is something that's bothered me, I need to know before I commit to this, be responsible with your evangelism, okay? but you don't need to introduce that. The gospel is what saves. Uh, but I will tell you, the guy in Pakistan, and it's been probably a full year now, before he started doing what he's doing every month, that was the one thing he emailed me about. He said, I'm trying to learn about Jesus. And he says, I'm really struggling with one issue, and can you please tell me about it? And it was the Trinity. And I said, yes, I've got just what you need. And we talked about it and that guy has been on fire for the past year. He's brought more people to the Lord in the past year than certainly I've brought in my life. I mean, just constant, constant telling people about Jesus. Now he's adding in every month a Bible study. He's adding in a food ministry and a children's ministry, and it just, it's just constant adding things in. And I love how every single thing that you send him, he takes a picture of the people with the jackets or a picture of the people with, you know, whatever he says, I'm going to buy him 20 pound bags of rice. There's a picture of them getting their rice because he wants to make sure everything is above board. He's a great guy. I'm so thankful for him in my life. So, you know, the Lord is just using him in such a great way over there. It's so wonderful. Oh boy, just wonderful. Um, Okay. uh, The Trinity is a difficult concept. To grasp not fully understanding something however does not mean that we cannot accept it as true okay just because we don't fully understand I don't know you know the mechanics of that shirt uh, that chair over there at all I couldn't tell you the chemical composition of it other than it's steel and you know a piece of wood and some foam but other than that, I can't tell you all the details about it but I know that if I sit on it it's gonna hold me up okay It's just the way it is. I don't need to know everything about it to know that it is what it is. So, you don't need to know everything about the Trinity to accept it. And if you did know everything about the Trinity, then you'd be God. So, you're never going to know everything about the Trinity, okay? But, um, we can accept it as true if we are given sufficient information to, or even a sufficient parallel such as time. I mentioned time. That's one thing that has three aspects that are all eternal for the you know, the scent of the word, they're all eternal in nature. There's always been a time when there was the past, the present, and the future from the moment that time began. God created it, so obviously it's not an eternal being like God is, but from the moment that time began, the past existed in time, the future exists in time, and the present exists in time, okay? And so if that can happen, then it means that there is a possibility that the Godhead is true, And there's a point where you just have to come down and say, okay, you know, I accept this. I don't fully understand it. Like I said, you never will, but you can accept it, okay? Uh, The word of God clearly teaches the doctrine of the Trinity. And so we are expected to accept it by faith, even if we do not fully understand it. Have faith in God's word and do not let others bring you into error because they are unwilling to take God at his word, okay? Uh, That takes me back to, creation and evolution is you know the bible proclaims one thing it doesn't proclaim anything else now whether you believe in evolution or a long-term creation or something like that is fine that's your choice god's not going to force that on you but the bible does not give the option of either of those there's no such thing as evolution found in the bible it says that there is god that he created and he did it in a set amount of time and then Genesis 2 follows along perfectly with that, despite people that try to separate them and tear it apart, and then Genesis 3 follows perfectly along with that. Everything follows exactly the way that we would expect when God created in six days and rested on the seventh, okay? The Bible doesn't give any other option. It was a very hard thing for me to get over, when I, was, uh, just, when I had just come to Christ, I wasn't not saved because I believed in evolution. Once again, that's a false premise. You have all kinds of things that are wrong in your head when, you're, uh, when you come to the Lord. So I didn't get unsaved when I still believed in evolution after I was saved. Okay, I had never even thought of it until somebody brought up the thing about a six-day creation. And I'm like, well, that's what the Bible says. And I'd never sat down and thought about it. And it took a long time for me to come to the resolution that, you know, I don't understand how the two don't match or how the two do match, but I'm going to accept by faith that what this says is true. And ever since then, I've pursued the creation evolution model for all it's worth. And I am fully convinced, I am fully convinced that the Bible is 100% correct. Just because something looks 10 billion years old doesn't mean it is. Adam looked 30 years old when he was created that day, but he wasn't, okay? That's not God being a deceiver. That's misinterpreting the analysis and failing to take God at his word, okay? By nature, you're going to have sandstone that looks a 1,000 years old and, you know, granite that looks millions of years old. That's by nature, okay? But if you created granite as granite and sandstone as sandstone, that's always going to be the case, When he created a tree that had fruit inside, you would assume that the tree grew for 35 years and eventually started bearing fruit, and then it had the seed, and the seed went on to another tree. That's not God being a deceiver. That's God putting everything in place for us to be here when he created us. Okay, so I have no problem with the creation model. It's much more involved than that. That was a simple little explanation, but... um, you know what? If you watch Genesis History or uh, uh, what's the other one, um, uh, there's two very good resources out there. Answers in Genesis. Answers in Genesis thank you. I always, I always get one or the other. Answers in Genesis and is creation, Genesis History. They are going to answer any question that you have about the creation or evolution model. They're going to answer any question. You may not believe them, but they will answer and they will answer it sufficiently by very, very smart people. And I can tell you the people that don't agree with it are the ones that have the problems. We don't. Those people that believe in evolution have problems all over the world. Why are there shellfish on the top of the Grand Canyon? You know, that's a problem for them. They can't explain it. All we have to do is say there was a worldwide flood 6,000 years ago and the problem is resolved or 5,000 years ago. So uh, the problem rests with them, and they will do anything but admit that there is a God, because then that interferes with their world life and their worldview, and they don't want it to. So, uh, you know, those are the type of things that you want to consider, you want to think about, you want to pursue, but um, the main thing is when you bring somebody to Christ, give them the simple gospel. Don't throw a lot of baggage on there. That's unnecessary, and it can be harmful to they're making a commitment to Jesus. Simple gospel. And as you said, you're talking to him. It can't be that easy. Will you tell me why not? What more would you expect God to do? I mean, we can't get anything right in this world. 40 mile an hour speed limit. How many people obey that? Honestly, right? Unless you're just, you know, an old timer that does 27 all the time, right? But if you're, if you... Yeah, I mean, we can't get anything right. Why would God make it difficult on us when we can't get the most basic things right? Okay. All right. We're not in two seventeen. Not
0: only do I go above speed limit, I will just slide by saying I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. God is love. First John four eight. Yep. The last words of First John four
1: eight.
0: Yep. He's the mediator between God and man. First Timothy two five. Right. People heard you say that, and I wonder where that is.
1: Oh, okay. He's uh, 1 John 4, 8, God is love, and 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 5. 2, 5. 1 Timothy 2, 5. There's one mediator between God, man. It is the man, Christ, yeah, Jesus. Indeed. He gets the numbers. I, I don't go by the numbers because that would be too much for this teeny little brain to handle, but um, yeah, Burke Burke understands where things are a lot better than most people. I can assure you of that. He's our go-to guy when we need to know something like that. Um, uh, what was it that I was going to say? Did, uh, oh yeah, somebody did get Sunday's question, didn't they? Um, uh, no. What was it? Um, what was, um, Solomon's other given name? Yeah, she would have gotten it. See, I knew it. I knew that if she was here, she would have gotten it. But I, I, who was it that didn't, somebody emailed me and they got it. Anyway, um uh, doesn't matter. It's, uh, uh, yeah, it was not one of my questions. I made sure of that because I always get belittled for picking too hard (laughs) of a question. And I pull one out of that little card. You know what I did this week? I wanted to remember to write it down in advance. So I put the, I I finished up the sermon reading on Tuesday night and I, I put that thing of cards that you gave me into the sermon. I said, tomorrow morning I will get a, a, uh, yeah, I'll pick one out. And so I picked up the thing in the morning. I didn't close the top and I had cards all. They slid all over the entire, there were little Bible cards everywhere. And then I thought I got them all. The next day I moved a pillow and there was like 20 of them down under that. So uh, keep the lid shut on the Bible questions. Okay, Um, 217.
0: 217, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word.
1: Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work and word and work. Yeah, so kind of close, not, not too far apart. Um, uh, that's the last verse of chapter two, and we're we've still got um, uh, we've got uh, forty minutes. We may finish this epistle after all. We'll see. Um, okay, this verse here is divided in a way where it cannot be taken alone. It's not a standalone verse. The word comfort is based on Paul's previous words. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ and our God and Father... Dot, 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 comfort your hearts. The word comfort here is tied into the intervening words of that same verse, which said, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. There the word consolation is a noun form of the closely corresponding verb comfort which is used here. So you got consolation, you got comfort and they're very close in the Greek and you'll see that especially in the Hebrew. Every Hebrew word that you look at is based on uh, you've got a noun it will be based on a verb that is either identical but it's in the verb position or it is very close and the noun is derived from the verb. So once you learn that it's not really difficult to figure out what's going on. something just came to my mind, and I don't remember what it is, but I want to go to Judges 7 really quickly while it's on my mind and see if I can remember. I typed Judges. I didn't finish Judges 7, but I typed, um, what was it? I uh, I ended at 20, I believe. Uh, judges 7, Napoli, uh yeah, zero on mil- uh, I don't remember what I was thinking of. Something I was going to say. That, oh, yeah. You know, I did the fleece a couple weeks ago. And very, very great typology. And then um, I've got another one for you if you want it over there. I don't know if you're... Okay, if you do, it's over there. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, uh, what was... Something came to my mind. Oh, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. So Gideon, the hundred men. Uh, anyway, it's very exciting. I don't remember what was on my mind, but there's something exciting about it. And then I'll <laughs> I'll finish typing that chapter... Next week and then when I'm done with the mechanical analysis of the verb verses then we'll see if we can figure out the typology so wonderful I'm telling you it's just so wonderful to go through judges and see what's going on there Just amazing amazing stuff um, Garlic. yes I
0: had a friend who said thoughts come to him he always carried on those little Tablets. to write it down or he, he said I would pull over and write it down Absolutely. Because if I, when I get home, I will remember.
1: That's right. You know, that happened to me one time. I had I woke up in the middle of the night one time and I had an idea. It, it was unbelievable. I said there's no way I'm going to forget this in the morning and I couldn't remember it at all. <laughs> I couldn't but I just remember it was like, you know, probably I invented the internet or something. It was just something that was just Unbelievable! And uh, the next morning, I just I was so angry that I didn't do that. I, phone, yeah, uh, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's certainly not going to happen. But you know what? I'm, i I I got to tell you, they were taking pictures of Hideko and using her phone, I guess, to do it as well. And now I'm getting. I went back to look at one of the photos. Uh, she was out in front of Trump Tower, and there was a a. a you know, a bench sitting out front and she was pointing at a picture and it Donald Trump and Donald M- Mel- Melania Trump. And so she was very happy about this, but it actually assigns a location on the photo. Yes. So now I know where that photo was taken, but I don't like that. I don't want anybody knowing where I am, you know, so that doesn't interest me. In and fact, then just
0: so you know, if you send a photo to somebody, most people don't know this. I can still find the location embedded inside the photo. Sometimes something... People send me a photo, and I go, oh, how's that place doing? It's like, How did you know where I was?
1: Uh, yeah, I see? Was like, oh, that doesn't interest me. Because
0: coordinates are embedded inside the photo. Most yeah, people don't know
1: Yeah, I, I don't like that. That that doesn't... And so Hitiko's now got this phone that... Your fault! <laughs> <laughs> and so she's, she's apparently taking like 8,000 photos with that stupid thing. You know? <laughs> what they say about Japanese... It's true. it's true, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, so she's, she's out there taking all these, and I know when she comes back, she's gonna be like stuck with her nose in it for the, and the rest of my life. I'm not gonna have a wife <laughs> like I used to have because she's got a phone. Oh, well, whatever. Okay, um, 217. The verse here is divided in the way that I've read that, uh, consolation. Okay, as those in Thessalonica were facing trials and troubles, Paul is praying that they will be comforted by the comfort which exists in the Lord Jesus Christ and in God the Father. He then adds in and establish you in every good word and work. To be established is to be firm and fixed. It is to be unyielding when difficulties or confrontations come. The word in Greek means to stand against vacillation and Paul applies it to every good word and work. Have no vacillation in your work and no vacillation in your word. I was cleaning the uh, back rooms today and I was in there and I thought, this may be the fifth time, I I think it was the fourth, but it may be as many as five times in the past 10 years that I have not cleaned a bathroom that week. And it was this past week because it was Thanksgiving. And I just, it never even dawned on me. Hediko's gone, I'm trying to keep my life from falling apart. And so last week, I never cleaned the bathroom. Not like it got used a lot the Sunday before. I mean, it's like whatever. But still, I you know, if you are going to do a good word or a good work, don't vacillate in it. Stick to it. Always stick to what you're doing. You know, do a good job. Because if you're not going to do a good job, it's going to reflect on the Lord. Right? Um, although I I almost lost it yesterday. I was out blowing off the parking lot at 6 in the morning. and. I got to a 7-Eleven and I'm, I'm always very careful when somebody is in the parking lot because I don't want to get dust all over them. And I, and I had this one guy with this, it was the biggest car that you could possibly buy. It was just absolutely massive and he's parked there. And I'm over here away from him, blowing something off. And he looked at me, he called me and he goes, and I thought, I said, am I your dog? Is that it? You know, am I your dog? I said, what are you worshiping that thing? It's a car. You know, I just—I almost took off my blower and had it out with him, but I left it on my back and I didn't. What I should have done is just stood there and just turned that thing right on him. And just, <laughs> I didn't though. I held it. But I just, you know, some people just, they, they just want to rile you up. First thing in the day is I'm just going to ruin this person's day by proving I'm better than him. I've got a big expensive car and he's walking around without shoes and he's got a leaf blower in his back. And he's like, okay. I got your number buddy if i see you pulled over on the side of the road i ain't stopping okay that's not true i probably would i just i just have been stewing over that all day you know most you just people
0: make sure you had your leaf blower on as you approached his car oh, oh car
1: trouble? that that yeah absolutely well, i gotta tell you what though that leaf blower that's the biggest one you can buy before they turn into a walking model it's huge if i had pointed it at him, he'd still be blowing down midnight <laughs> pass. I, 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 you got to be careful with that thing. It's a big, big blower. Anyway, um, okay, I don't know. I don't know what got that into me, but. Uh, Charlie? Yes? Oh, no.
0: uh, just, what,
1: vacillate, how do you write that? Oh,
0: V-A-C-I-L-L-A-T-E, vacillate. Oh,
1: that was really Huh? V-A-S-C. Wait a minute, vacillate, where did I say that? I want to make sure you're right. V-A-C. V a c i l l a t e, v a c i l a t, v a c i l l a t e. I was correct. Okay, so uh, there's no S in vacillate, all right. Uh, The word in Greek means to stand against vacillation, and Paul applies it to every good word and work. Good word, good work. The word is the word of God and the doctrine that flows from it. Let me make a note here. The word is applying that doctrine properly and in accord with the work. I'm sorry, is. Um, uh, the work is applying that doctrine properly and in accord with the word. It is then a thought more fully fleshed out by Paul in Ephesians four, thirteen, and fourteen. Okay, so we want to go to Ephesians four thirteen and fourteen. Give me just a second here. 4, 13, and 14. Let's see here. Do, 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 do. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the word and the work that we don't vacillate in, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wicked wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful. it's a big mouthful of words but Paul is making a point that we need to hold fast to the Word of God and the doctrine which it holds to and like I said earlier we I would have you extend the work to everything you do because everything you do is a reflection on your relationship with Christ so uh, every good word and work Um, let's see here so where are we to be established is to be firmed and fixed Uh, the words of the word combined with a right application of them, will lead to good works which are suitable and pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ and to God the Father. Once again, you have to have an impulse to do a work, okay? If you're not reading the Bible, then you're not knowing how to do a good work. It's impossible. It's one of those things that you say, well, you know, I don't need the Bible. I'm gonna live for Jesus, but I don't need to know the word. That's not possible. Because the word is what tells us about our responsibilities in Christ. How to live properly, how to conduct our lives properly, not blowing people over with a leaf blower would be a good thing. you know. Uh, these are kind of things that y- you can't disassociate your life in Christ from the word of God. It's just not possible. It's the only source we have for understanding our relationship with him. You can go and see 10,000 sermons in churches, and if they're not based on the Word of God, you're not learning anything. You might as well just go to a motivational speaker in a big company, and you're probably gonna get a better speech, and you're gonna get more encouraged. But you're not going to be edified in the Word of God and how to please Jesus. So, uh, once again, without reading the Bible, you are not going to be able to do these things. Let's see here, God, and this is exactly what is implied here in Paul's choice of words in the Greek. The verbs are in the singular, but the corresponding pronouns are the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father, of verse 16. Both are united in the use of the single verbs. Thus, once again, there is the implication of the divine unity between these two persons. It is another reference to the nature of the Godhead, and once again, the nature of the Godhead is three persons, but right here he's focusing on two for a particular reason, okay? So, uh, life application. These words were written to those in Thessalonica, but they are a part of the word of God, and so Paul's words to them are still a prayer of Paul to us today. They are a hope which endures through the ages of the church age, and they are words which we can rely on in our own times of trouble and trial, knowing that eons before we existed, the faithful apostle was making this petition to God on our behalf as well. It's in the word of God. Because of that, he wasn't just writing to the Thessalonians. He was writing to us as well. He's writing to every person that has ever been saved by Jesus, I beg you to do these things, act in this manner, do what is right in the presence of the Lord, etc. All of these things pertain just as much to us as they did the day he wrote it to those in Thessalonica, all right? Um, uh, And there's a day where these words are going to come to an end. The church age is going to come to an end and we're going to be taken out of here. And then the people of the world are going to have to wonder what to do next, all right? Uh, Unfortunately, people are not ready for what's coming on the world. You know, I don't know when it's coming. They have ChatGPT. What?
0: They have ChatGPT. Oh, they have
1: ChatGPT. It can tell them, you know, what they missed and why, but uh, hopefully it'll give them more information that'll be useful to them, which I doubt, but we'll see. Um, Yeah, Sergio really likes that chat stuff. He gets in there and he, every time it gets a new thing, he's like, this just advanced us 50 years ahead. He said, I can't believe it. And he'll show it to me and I'm like, He really likes it, though, and he's very impressed, and he gets a lot, I have to tell you, he gets a lot done with it. He gets a lot of expertise out of it, but it doesn't pertain to my job at all. I wouldn't trade my time in the Word for anything. There's nothing, you know, I, uh, Sunday, or Monday, I'm sorry, uh, the sermon typing went way, way long. I've even stopped on Mondays. I don't do what I used to do at the mall. I go really early before I get caught by those birds because I can't say no to them. I got 400 birds waiting to be fed and I can't. So I've stopped doing that. I go really early in the morning. I'm back home in 15 minutes instead of an hour and 15 minutes. And even then, Monday sermon typing took about 15 hours. It was just... But I, gotta tell you, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I would not trade it for the world to have some computer give an analysis for me. And then I'd have to read it and say, well, that's not right. You know, there, that, that doesn't reflect what I want at all. I just, there's no way. It's really important to have the word of God properly handled and to have it um, thought through and taken in the proper context of the rest of scripture. Yeah, Monday was long. And I, You know what? On Tuesday, was it Tuesday or was it yesterday? I emailed him and I said, I, I was so tired. I took a a nap. I'm laying there, and I actually woke myself up from snoring. I I snored so loud. I woke myself up. I said, was that yesterday? Yesterday. Yesterday. Okay, well, then it was... Mm. Tuesday was brutal. Wednesday, I had to do the the mall work. And so I lay down, and I must have gone right out because uh, I don't know. I could hear the snoring from the other side of town. I bet you could. It literally woke me up. It scared me. I was like, what was that? So... Yeah, I can't wait till she gets home. Man, it's just it's tough without her being here. Okay. Uh well, oh yeah, let me tell you this. Here's the deal. I uh I didn't tell anybody this cuz I didn't want anybody to know, but I was going to sneak up there yesterday. I got a flight uh to leave it uh I would have had to have gone three in the morning to Tampa, flown up, and then I was going to fly back that afternoon and I would have been home in Sarasota at 1 o'clock at night. So it would have been, you know, 19-hour day, I guess. But, um, uh, and I had Burke set up to do the Bible study at night. And I wasn't going to tell anybody. And the reason why is I might not have made it home if the flight got canceled. So just in case. And um, uh, then Thor said to me, when he's going up there on last Friday, he said, well, Tangi's talking about coming to Sarasota. And I thought, well, I don't want to go. If she's going to be coming down here, it would be total waste. Poor mom was so stressed. She's got to come and feed the dogs, and she's got to do all this stuff. And so um, uh, I I, I, I finally said to Tangie, I want you to know I was planning on coming up yesterday. But this was last Sunday. I told her, I said, but if you're coming to Sarasota, I, I don't want to do this. And she was really mad. She was like, you still need to come up. And I'm like, you don't understand how difficult that'll be. And it'll put a problem on mom. And anyway, so I didn't go, but she's going to be coming down here pretty soon. And so it's not like this long drawn out thing. So I'm not going to go, but I don't care about giving up those tickets. Two way from Tampa to Islip Airport, which is right next to their house. And then back to Tampa, 5798. I mean, I can lose 57.98. That's fine. So, wow. yeah, I couldn't believe it. I mean, that hasn't happened since the world began, I think. No, so, yeah, I was very wow. excited, and I thought, you know, if I don't go, I haven't lost anything, but at least I've got this confirmed. And then she went and said, "I'm probably going to come down. I'm like, I ain't going. Okay, I lost 57 dollars, and I hate that I did. I just, you know, I could have done something productive with it, but at least I was ready to go. And uh, oh, so th- to answer your question, is Hidako is going to come back with Thor and Faith? So she's going to be here Sunday night. Oh, she—you know—she was talking about staying till January. I would have been lunatic. By I already am a little bit of a lunatic, but I would have been done. No. So when
0: I came to visit you, the dogs were on the ceiling. Oh. And everything was just—it was.
1: I got to you, take very, very. You know what? He got off the airplane. He's been flying now for eighteen hours. He gets here and he says, "I want to come and see you." He says, "I want to give you a hug." He drove all the way across Sarasota just to give me a hug. What a nice guy! Oh my gosh! To see I, if you're still alive without
0: hitting. Well, yeah, but. <laughs> comfort. That's the first word there in that verse. Comfort. Yeah. <laughs> comfort, he, he, he says comfort uh, here comfort your heart. Over in First Thessalonians, after he talks about the rapture, he yeah. says comfort one another. One another,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's Paul. He's he's wanting us to be comforted in all ways. Yeah. Good stuff.
0: Are we going for it? Third chapter.
1: We're going chapter, yeah, we got 20 minutes. We're going to see if we can finish it. We've only got 18 verses. Can we get them done in the next 20 minutes? Okay, so
0: verse 1, chapter 3. Oh, okay. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it is with you.
1: Okay, the reason why Burke said finally was one, finally we're in chapter 3, but two, it begins with finally. But yours didn't. It didn't. Yeah, this one says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. Okay, 3-1. All right. Uh, Chapter 3 begins with the word, finally, or yours says what?
0: As for other matters. That's
1: right, as for other matters. Uh, Though there were no chapter and verse divisions in the original books of the Bible, who was the first one to come up with chapter divisions?
0: Some guy in about 1400.
1: Yeah, that's great. Actually, it was one guy, and we do not use his, but it was uh, Father Hugo Santo de Caro, okay? And uh, so we have the chapter divisions from the, about the 1400s. And then the first, uh, uh, the person that did the verse divisions, anybody? Was it
0: Erasmus?
1: Nope. Nope. Robert, Robert. Stephanus, And that was first published a year later in the Geneva Bible. So, yeah, we've got a good tradition here, and yeah, I, went
0: to school again. Yeah, I believe that you
1: old-timer you. Yeah, so Robert Stephanus and the Geneva Bible. Okay, so um, there were no chapter and verse divisions in the original books of the Bible. This is a logical place to begin the chapter. He has finished the main purpose of the book with its theological discourse on the timing of the end times. That was all of what we saw there. In uh, chapter two, at the beginning of it, it was so clear. Actually, uh, was it you? Somebody emailed me and was said, "I'm so." Oh, Adrian, I think it was Adrian. He said how happy he was to have seen, you know, the arrows pointing exactly how it is because, you know, you listen to somebody. Remember when I did that? I had the arrows pointing exactly what Paul is saying and how it is divided. Once you see it that way, you wipe out all of the error that you listen to people in this church and this church and this church and they all have their view about the, you know, it's a mid-trib or it's a pre-wrath or whatever rapture. And you can't make the error if you actually lay it out the way Paul has said it. And that's what we do. We put it there and I just showed you. He says this and then this, therefore this based on that, okay? And if you see that and you look at it, you'll never make that mistake again. You don't need to worry, is pre-wrath right or is mid-trib right? if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go back and watch the early uh, chapter two uh, sermons, and it's the one, um, I, I don't remember the title of it, but uh, the particular sermon you'll know from the title, and it tells you exactly the timeline of the end time events. It, it, it's very clear, it's very precise, and no, we're not going to know when the rapture is, okay? No, we're not going to know who the antichrist is, so why bother? Why waste your time on that type of nonsense when He has given us exactly what we need to know about those end times. What we will know, what we won't know. Why not to worry about those things? Then it's all based on his response to their question. Don't you remember when I told you these things? He's reminding them. And because he's reminding them, he is reminding us. Anyway, he's gone through that part of the discourse on the timing of the end times. As was seen, those in Thessalonica had been disturbed by input from someone telling them that the day of the Lord had already come, the tribulation period, okay? Also called the day of Christ in one text or another. Paul ensured them, and thus us, that such was not the case. It cannot be the case. Here's why. That's what Paul was telling them, and that we could know how this was true. Once you see it laid out, you're not going to make that mistake ever. It's not going to happen. He gave a concise and precise detailing of the sequence of end times events. You know, I was thinking about something. Sergio was talking to me about the end times, and he says, you know, sometimes people, and I love to do it. I say, you know, if you don't agree with me, you can be as wrong as you want. And I'm always saying that kiddingly, but some people take offense at it. And, uh, you know, I, I believe what I teach or I would not teach it, but that doesn't mean I'm right. And that's why I tell people all the time, please check after you've gone through this study, go check what I said, because I might not be right, okay? I am convinced I am. That's fine. But I will tell you one thing. I was thinking of this today. As a matter of fact, it was while I was cleaning the men's bathroom. I was thinking this, and it's one thing that I can say absolutely for certain that if you disagree with me, you are not going to heaven. 100% for certain is if you disagree with my presentation of the gospel, because the gospel is 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. If you disagree with what Paul says there, you're not going to be saved. If you disagree that Jesus died for our sins, you will not be saved. If you disagree that Jesus was buried, you're not going to be saved. And if you disagree that he came out of the grave on the third day according to scripture, you are not going to be saved. And I can say that adamantly, I can say it without any shame at all. If you disagree with my presentation of the gospel, you're going to hell. It's your choice. Paul has laid it out. I'm just telling you what Paul said. It's the word of God. And if you disagree with it, there's no hope for you. That's one thing I can say with absolute confidence. I don't need anybody else to ever tell me, well, maybe. That's just the way it is. It's written. It is God's word, and it is unchanging. Let's see if that's important or not. Plus, it's going to ring again in a second. So um, if I don't do this, let's see here. Okay, let me just... Click on it, and that it won't ring again. Um, that Let me read that. That's who we were praying for at the beginning of the uh, service. Hang on one second. Let me see if it might be important. Um, uh, uh, this is on uh, Brent up in Canada. He had an EKG today. He goes by ambulance to a different hospital for an echocardiogram, and on Saturday, they're sending him to get another hospital for an MRI. They can't get his blood pressure regulator, and they can't even tell us when he'll be released. So it could be serious but we're not sure. Keep praying and uh, 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 I can't read that. Keep praying that the Lord will keep him so that I don't lose him. Oh, okay, so she doesn't lose her husband. Okay, so pray for uh, Donna and Brent. Okay, um, let's see here. I'm going on. Yes, we got time. Um, As was seen, those in Thessalonica had been disturbed by some input, right? I read that. Paul ensured them and thus us that that was not the case and we could know how this is true. He gave a concise and precise detailing of the sequence of end times events so that we wouldn't be duped by others and so that we wouldn't waste our time speculating on who the Antichrist is. There's no point in doing that. If you see a uh, video and it says the Antichrist is revealed, don't waste your time. They're getting click, that's clickbait. They're going to get a lot of money for, you know, they'll get, I I don't know, how much if you have 300,000 views? How much money are you going to get for that? I know it varies, but... What would be? Uh,
0: be like, uh, could be anywhere from five hundred to a thousand dollars. Five
1: hundred to a thousand dollars, just for making up a video that isn't based on any reality at all. Just you got this money coming in, and you do ten of those a month, you're making all kinds of money, just deceiving people. Anyway, um, don't click on it. Waste of time. After opening the final section, he immediately again says, "Brethren, this is the fifth of seven times that he will say this in this short book." Thus, he is ensuring they don't forget that they are beloved by the Lord. That's verse 2.13. Despite the things which may come against them and afflict them, they are united in Christ as brethren. With that understanding, he then petitions them for prayer. As brethren, this is right for him to ask and for them to respond. Paul was known for keeping his beloved brethren and their churches in prayer, such as when he said that back in chapter 1, verse 11. And he anticipated that they would likewise be in prayer for him and those with him. And so, with specificity, he names the type of prayer they seek. It is, his words, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. His request is reflected in the 147th Psalm, there it says, let's see, 147, and he says there, let's see, he sends out his command to the earth, his word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool, he scatters the frost like ashes. And so on from there. The request of Paul and his companions is that their work of spreading the word would be swift, that it would not be in any way hindered, and that it would be without any type of anxiety or stress which could slow down its progress. And in addition to this, he asked that they pray that the message conveyed will be glorified. This is not asking for Paul and his associates to receive distinction or honor, but that the message itself would be honored. The desire is for the exaltation of the gospel message and thus for the honor of the Lord upon whom it is based. You want the Lord to be glorified in everything you do. Today I was at 7-Eleven and uh, there were some Mexican guys that were, uh, they're putting a new roof on 7-Eleven for the first time in like 20 years. That roof was so bad, there were shingles. Every time we get even a light wind, there are shingles all over the parking lot. Those, you know, they're so thin, they're like paper now. They just blow everywhere. And so they're finally replacing the roof and uh, uh, they kind of got themselves in trouble because they weren't picking up the uh, nails and they're the, you know, you know, the round ones that stick straight up and one lady popped a brand new tire and so you know th- they had to start being a little more careful but they're, they're working out there and of course Charlie comes walking along without shoes on and they freaked. Man, they're like, here comes a lawsuit. They're like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, no, I got something for you and I, I wadded it up small enough and I threw it to him, it was a track in Spanish. And so, you know, you want the Lord to be glorified. And so, if you have a lot of Hispanics around, carry some Spanish tracts. Okay, if you don't have them, they're right on the wall back there. But, you know, you don't know who you're going to meet. And you got six guys that are working. And somebody comes and throws you a tract. It may not affect him, but it may affect one of the others. Because you know they're going to talk about it. They got nothing else to do but pull off tiles for the next two days. They got about a third or maybe a half of the work done today. So, they hand out a tract. Okay, just watch for the nails in the process because they were everywhere. Oh boy. Anyway, um, let's see here. Um, the word of uh, the Lord be uh, glorified. The thought is reflected in Acts 12 where it says that the word of God grew and multiplied. That was uh, verse twelve twenty-four. This was the continued hope of Paul and his company. Finally, he notes, just as it is with you. If they wanted to know exactly what to pray for, all they needed to do was look at how the word had taken hold in their own church. It had been presented, received, and brought honor to the Lord. This was the hoped-for condition of each place to be encountered by Paul's group. Okay, That's what we would want with any church that we are a part of. We would hope that the word of the Lord would be glorified in the process. Okay. If they're not opening the word and giving you an analysis of the word, I would leave that church. That's just my opinion. If you, you know, you do whatever you want. Some people just want to go and hear music. And I have a a relative of mine that goes to a a really poor church uh, three or four times a year just to hear the music because, you know, it's music that she knew when she was in that church for many, many years. And, uh, I, I'm not saying the person's name, but <laughs> anyway. So she'll go there, and I think, man, I wouldn't even want to walk through those walls. But you know, I, I do admit though, growing up and listening to the music in the Episcopal Church was really nice. They had great music. Okay, um, if you like that type of thing, and when you grow up with it, you just it's in you, you know. But I wouldn't walk into one of those churches ever again. I man, I they've gone so far south. Now, admittedly, we do have one conservative. Episcopal congregation left in Sarasota, and that's the one that she goes to. But even then, just to think where their money has to go to, I would never be in that church. Anyway, um, there are churches and towns, life application, there are churches and towns and villages around the world, but there are still places where the word has not been conveyed. Churches are set groups that generally don't go far beyond their own places of meeting, but then there are missionaries who are there uh, specifically for that purpose if you're a missionary geared church. I know some churches that never, ever address missionaries at all. Never. They don't bring it up. It's not something that's a part of what they think about. And I know other churches, I went to that a teeny little Baptist church. It was you know, terrible doctrine. They were King James only and very fundamental. No, you know, women with dresses below the knees and no dancing and you can't do this and you can't do that. Nothing in the Bible about it. But those people, and there were, how, how many people do you suppose were in that church? 35, 40 at the most? It, they're, they're, it was a teeny little church. They supported 60, six zero missionaries. And I thought, that is a church that loves the gospel. Even if their doctrine isn't very good, they supported 60. They didn't fully fund 60 missionaries, but every time a missionary came in, they'd see how can we fit this into the budget? It was unbelievable. 60 missionaries in that teeny little church. So at least hats off to them for that. And, uh, you know, they'd come back, and some of the missionaries were really nice people. I got to admit, I didn't meet them all, but, you know, just, it was amazing to see. But I wouldn't fit in there because I never wore a coat and a tie, and, of course, you're not going to go to heaven if you don't wear a coat and tie, so (laughs) whatever. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. Okay, so let's... The what?
0: Second
1: chapter of David. Yeah, second chapter of David. Yes. Yeah, that, that is an important point to consider. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, um, even though churches don't head out from their home areas, they can and should support those who do. Okay, and so we try our best to do that here as well. I mean, we've got lots of missionaries that we help out, and we've got indigenous people that we help out. And the thing that surprises me, and I should never be surprised by this ever, but, you know, I said on Sunday, you know, if uh, we don't get enough to take care of Pakistan, I will make sure that they get enough for the next Jesus movie. He's had success every single time he's done it. I'm going to make sure that it's paid. And I get home and somebody's offered to pay everything. I actually had to say, well, you know, don't send that much because we have some leftover from last month that other people gave. They're a month ahead and. Taking care of the Pakistan thing, and I wasn't thinking about it on Sunday, so I figured I think whatever fourteen hundred dollars. They said so we'll cover the whole thing, and I said just send this much instead. So I, it, it never ceases to amaze me how people love to get the word of God out. I've just I am so thankful for the people that attend this church online, because they they're at home, they're not with any other church, and yet they're willing to help out people all over the world. It's unbelievable. So. Um, uh, this is one of the major purposes of the church. We are to ensure that we do not stagnate behind walls, but that we continue to refresh ourselves and the gospel through the support of missionaries. And we're done right on time. Don't for, don't leave until you take one of these good things from Karen. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you for your word. We're grateful to you for those who go forth as missionaries and uh, attend to the word of the Lord elsewhere in the world and they're spending their time and their Resources and even their lives in the hope of gaining converts in foreign lands. And uh, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for those indigenous missionaries that are taking care of their own people and that are helping them in various ways. Remy with the, uh, uh, just a heart, even to build a proper bathroom for a village in the middle of nowhere. Lord, it's something that seems so unimportant. And yes, it's so important to keep the sanitary Situation in their village going and the people content. It's just so wonderful that somebody's willing to do that. So we just thank you for all the things that you do for us. We thank you for the heart that you have given the people that you have called to uh, do the service of these people and the things that they do. Thank you for those that tend to this church in other ways as well that keep it running. Lord, you're so good to us. We praise you for it. We glorify you and we thank you in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. All right, let's say goodbye to the folks online and then have a couple of these before you go. Uh, break.